Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is episode 51 with Noah Fleming. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxy. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have with me Noah Fleming, and Noah is a marketing expert and is a thought leader in strategic marketing and consumer loyalty. Noah helps clients dramatically and rapidly increase sales, multiply profits, maximize customer value. He's a trusted source for coaching and consulting to thousands of owners, executives, and individuals. Noah is also the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book in sales, marketing, and customer service, Evergreen. Cultivate the enduring customer loyalty that keeps your business thriving. I've read a book. It's really good. And um, he's also an expert blogger for Fast Company and regularly contributed to The Globe and Mail's re- report on the business section. Welcome to the show, Noah. Hey, Teo. Thanks a lot. So you've read the book? Yes, yes. You sent me the book, and I did. <laughs> I, um, you know, I'm, you know, I was talking about it. I'm getting ready for, to launch a few things myself, and I was really just intrigued by you know building that customer loyalty and really understanding how to cultivate that relationship so i was that's uh, great that's great i know i know as as a busy guy finding time to read as you know is you know it's always a challenge so i'm always <laughs> i'm always honored when anybody actually says i took the time and i read it so that's great <laughs> well i mean you took the time to send it to me i figured it's the least i could do so <laughs> um uh, so talk to me about your background how, how did you get to where you are today why did you start doing what you're doing and what um yeah, so so great question. I'll try and give you the the condensed version of that because I could probably spread it out over the course of an hour. But basically, came out of school uh, and you know thought I had to follow the traditional career path, which was heading into the corporate world to get a job. Took me about a year to find a job after I graduated from university. And when I finally found the job, uh, it was a decent job. It was a marketing. I was basically a marketing guy for the city in the, in the uh, for the city where I lived, and about a day into my job, I realized that I had made a big mistake. 
I had realized that it wasn't where I wanted to be. I had realized that I wanted to do my own thing, and I had been doing my own thing throughout school, but I sort of believed that I had to follow the, the traditional path. So really, it was that first day where I realized I made a big mistake. So I went home and I told my wife, I said, I, I don't think I can do this. I, I think I need to go out on my own. She said, well, you mean go out on, out on your own? You just spent a year looking for a job. And you finally found one. <laughs> and I said, well, I just, you know, I think I've made a mistake. I, I know I'm really good at marketing. I know I'm really good at working with businesses. And that's what I had been doing throughout school. So I said, I'm going to go out on my own. She said, here's the deal. If you can make the same amount of money as you make at your job for six months, uh, then I'll be comfortable with you leaving. Because she's not very risk tolerant. And so I said, okay, that's fair enough. And so six months to the day, I, uh, I started working on my own. I started building an email list. I started going back to clients that I was working with and asking for referrals. And it, it snowballed to a point where I was making more than I was making my day job. And so that six-month day, I took my boss out for lunch and I said, I'm leaving. And that was, that was in 2005 and I haven't been back since. Oh, my goodness. So the, yeah, so there's a big jump there. Uh, that brings me from that point to here. But basically, I started working with entrepreneurs uh, all over the world, business owners, really started with small businesses. And now I really work with uh, really, I, I guess they're still small to medium-sized companies. So average client ranges anywhere from a million dollars in revenue up to $100 million in revenue or $150 million. Uh, I have one client with $250 million in revenue. So that's what brought me to where I am today, and my focus has really been customer loyalty and how do we create, uh, how do we maximize customer value? So every customer that somebody gets is going to provide profits and growth uh, in perpetuity for that business, and so that's that's the short version, Teo. <laughs> well, no, I mean I, I love that story because I have a similar story, except I wasn't as brave enough to do it right after college. Uh, I, I started, I, I graduated in 2007, and I. I um, I went to. I had this sales job um, that I, I didn't like, uh, and I knew I didn't like it before accepting it. But I, you know, I figured I had to do the traditional thing. But so I ended up staying there for you know two and a half years. And it, like you, I was already doing my own thing. I was writing, publishing, blogging, all that stuff. But it was just a hobby, and I wasn't brave enough to do it. Uh, and then I, I decided to move to New York City for my MBA, and then I kept doing the same thing on, until. One of my internships uh, director, one of my internship directors, actually just called me and said, "Hey, um, we're gonna lay you off." <laughs> and then I was like, um, "You know, if I don't do this now, I'm probably never gonna do it." And while I'm, you know, getting my MBA, um, I figured I, I could either go the traditional path as what every, every MBA does and go the consultant route or just really take a gamble myself. And I did exactly that. And that was when, you know, the podcast and all that all came about. So I definitely, I definitely can relate, but I applaud you for just knowing a lot sooner and being able to pull that trigger. And you, and you, you said something really interesting there. You said, uh, if, if I don't ever do it, I probably never will. And that's such a, that's a, such a cool line, right? It's almost a great book title. If I don't do it now, I probably never will. Hey, um, next but, book, no one title. There, there you go. But I mean, you took the step and, uh, it was just, I just returned home from South by Southwest and I heard, uh, this young girl, fabulous, uh, speaker, her name was L Luna, E L L E L U N A. Oh. And she published a book called the crossroads of should and must. And she found herself in this position in her career where 
you know, she knew she should stick with the traditional job. She knew she should climb the corporate ladder, but must was was going after what was she was really passionate about. Must was her art and doing that. And so she left and she followed that. And her her new book is fabulous. Uh, your listeners should definitely check her out. L Luna E L L E L U N A. So this is I'm going to say a few things that blow your mind. I was at South by Southwest myself. And we did, we missed each other. <clears throat> oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, El Luna's uh, medium post should and must is something that me and my business partner we go back and forth and we read because we love exactly what she's about. And um, I I can't actually believe we probably passed each other several <laughs> times. <laughs> we didn't actually see each other, but um, the should and must thing is, is it's so key in today's society. I, I was um speaking at a conference recently and I was talking about how everybody falls into the supposed to syndrome. And it's something we need to defeat because everybody feels like sometimes a lot of people feel like, oh, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do this. And then you fall into that pattern and you don't actually do what you actually want to do. Um, so, I, I, you know, I just think it's funny how life works when we're in the same conference and we're getting all these similar messages. Amazing. amazing. So, so, OK, I want to stay on this. So we have Gary Vaynerchuk. We have Seth Golden. We have all these thought leaders. So we have um, uh, Guy Kawasaki, people like this who have being able to carve uh, their uh, you know, niche as a thought leader in today's space and using digital media to really take their expertise to a whole new level. I mean, I saw that you, you work in Marketing Prof and Mixergy, and I'm, I'm launching you know a course quite late. That's like a Mixergy with different universities there. What do you feel like is the landscape for people building global businesses where they can really autopilot it anywhere in the world? How do you think that they should go about building that first step? Well, let me try and break that down. I think when you mentioned thought leaders and you talked about thought leadership, people like Gary and Seth, uh, I think for me the key is really knowing who your ideal client is, really knowing who your ideal buyer is, really knowing the people you want to connect with, uh, and then being extremely diligent about doing things uh, only really to resonate and attract those people. So I'm not worried if my message doesn't resonate with everybody. I know my book won't resonate with everybody out there, but I know the people it will resonate with. I know the audiences it will resonate with. Um, So going back to the idea of becoming a thought leader, being able to work from anywhere, I think that's the first key, really knowing who it is that you want to work with. Where can you provide value? Who are the type of people that can benefit from your value? And then how do you reach them? I mean, those are really the three simple questions. So my business right now could legitimately be run from anywhere. Uh, I run it from small town Ontario in Canada. And, you know, some people look at me and say, well, how do you do that from there? How do you actually make it work living where you live? Shouldn't you live in Toronto or shouldn't you live in New York City or shouldn't you live in San Francisco? And the point is now you don't have to. The point is now you can live anywhere and you can make it work. Now, if you're a consultant to the, the tech and startup world, for example, or that's your kind of ideal client, then it might make sense to be in San Francisco But these days, you can meet with clients on Skype. Uh, You can hop on a plane and be anywhere within hours. So even though I'm I'm on the East Coast in Canada, I can be in San Francisco in four hours. And so, you know, we just live in a world now where anything is really possible. But we also live in a world, I think, where there's more opportunity right now than ever before. Right. And all of that is being amplified by all this stuff, by social media, uh, by by things like Skype, right? Which sometimes I think we, we take for granted because Skype's been around for a long time. 
but I, I have had client meetings where, you know, instead of getting on a plane to go meet with them, we, we do it one-to-one via Skype video. And so I think all that stuff is changing the dynamic. If you can offer value and if you can help others, you can make it work from wherever, uh, whenever, and in really in whatever space you want to carve out as your own. So I hope that answers kind of where you were going with your question. <laughs> no, it does. And two things I want to pull out from there are, are focus and uh, systems. So, it, I, you know, I, you said it and I can't emphasize it enough, the ability to have this super focus on what you're doing because if you stay if you try to do everything for everyone then you're really not going to reach anyone um and i know that you talk about customer loyalty you can't build a loyal customer base if you're constantly confusing them with several messages and trying to reach everybody um in the systems i you know several people tim ferris and all these people have come up with different ways to automate or just to run their business in different parts of the world i'm curious as to any resources that you could recommend as uh, you know, something that you do? You said you run your business in small town, Ontario, yet you deal with the global clients. So I'm curious as to what you use to ensure. Well, people always laugh when I say this because I'm a, I'm a techie guy and I always joke that I can open up a drawer and you know an iPad will fall out because I'm, staring, I'm sitting in front of an iMac. I've got an iPhone on my desk. There's an iPad on the floor. There's an iMac behind me in my wife's office. So I'm surrounded by technology. But for me to stay really organized and stay really efficient, I actually use an old school paper calendar and a Filofax. <laughs> and this, is, this is something my mentor taught me. And my mentor is uh, Alan Weiss. He wrote Million Dollar Consulting. And he's written 56 other books. Wow. But he, he taught me the idea of really staying focused and really carving out the time to do the things that matter. So I schedule things like writing a blog post. Uh, I know that every Tuesday morning I send out an email newsletter. So I schedule an hour in my calendar on Mondays. And I know that during that time, I'm going to be doing that work. And so that's sort of one of my tools to stay really uh, focused to always know what's coming up, what I need to get done. Uh, at the electronic versions, I still use an electronic calendar and it's all synced up, but that almost becomes my backup to my paper uh, Filofax calendar, which I'm always with. It's always in my bag. Uh, I never leave home without it, and I always know what I need to do and when. So I'm really diligent about scheduling very specific activities. If I know I'm going to be calling uh, 10 prospective clients, then I'll carve out the time throughout the week to call three on Monday, maybe three on Wednesday, and the rest on Friday. Uh, if I know I'm going to ask for referrals, I'll actually write that down in my calendar and I'll write down who I'm going to call. And so that's just how I, uh, that's really my system. And I think for everybody, it's, it's just a matter of finding out what works for you and really what helps you stay really focused. Um, you know, one of the things I often joke about too is that the whole the whole getting things done system, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful time management productivity system if it works for you. The problem is that most people trying to learn to get things done can't actually get the book done, right? And so they need to find something that works for them. Um, and I think that's one of the keys to really staying focused and staying on track with what you need to get done. Okay. No, I, I love it. Um, and, I, you know, you really hit the points that I feel like you, uh, I wanted you to reach because they're all about the focusing. And everybody has their own systems. I, I use calendars, too. And I had to learn how to use them because I was the worst. I used to think I could memorize everything. And then I, I started, I started, I missed like a couple of meetings and I thought, oh, I thought it was Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I just realized I, I just need to start, I needed to start how to 
putting them down in calendars, and sometimes I do the same thing with paper. Um, but I think it's great that you can actually sync with the online uh, calculators. I mean, calendars right now. So um, I think I think one of the biggest mistakes out there that a lot of entrepreneurs I see fall into is technology for technology's sake, right? right. So because there's some new latest tool. Uh, to help with productivity or lists or things that need to get done, they believe they need to jump on that. But but really, it's about finding the one simple system that works for you to help you stay organized. And you know, for me, it just happens to be a leather, a leather bound small personal calendar that I keep with me wherever I go. And if I lose that, uh, I haven't yet. I've used it for three <laughs> years. But if I do, then I know I've got the backup system. So right. it's a little bit counterintuitive than the way most people do it. But again, it's what works for me. No, you're right. I mean, for me, it's Evernote and Google Drive. And, you know, I use, the, I use those religiously. Nice. Um, yeah. Now, this is something I am very curious about. How do you build a market for product or service when there isn't a perceived need? And the reason I'm asking this is I, I know you, you sort of knew what you wanted to do, but... A lot of people, when they when they come up with reasons why they can't launch their business, be like, ah, I don't know, is there a market for this? What are you going to tell those type of people that say, um, you know, well, I don't know if this is perceived need. Am I going to get into a mainstream market, or how can well, I even reach out to them? It's a good question, and it's because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs trying to figure it out. I I hear this thing a lot, you know, that, well, I'm passionate about this. Is there market need around this? I just read about a guy yesterday that's trying to build. Uh, a new startup every month. He's launching 12 startups over the course of a year. And, and the reason he's doing that is because we all know from the startup world that most fail, but the odd time you get you get the diamond in the rough that hits it. So your odds are exponentially Im- improved if you release 12 startups as opposed to focusing on one. What I often tell entrepreneurs is is we need to think about it a little bit differently. You can't be thinking, uh, you know, I'm passionate about worms, so I'm going to build a business around that. What you really need to decipher is what are you really passionate about and what do you really love doing? Um, And then who can benefit from that? The the market for, for worms, for example, might not be big enough. That might be more of a hobby. So the second question is, who can benefit from the value that I can bring? Who can I who can I attract to this? And then the third question you need to answer again is, how do I reach them? I think I think too often we get caught up in this idea of you know what is my passion, as opposed to asking, what do I really like to do and what am I really good at doing? And so for me, I knew I was good with working with small business owners. I knew I was really good at uh, the concept of customer retention. I knew I was really good at customer loyalty. Uh, I knew that because I had my own companies where I religiously focused on keeping the customer and I was intently focused on maximizing the value of that customer. And so I was able to take those skills and apply them uh, to others. Now, are there other things that I might be more interested in on a personal level, you know, more of a hobby, perhaps, right? But I had to, I had to find something that works that I could actually build a career and a business around. I don't think everything uh, even though some have told us everything can be monetized, I don't think that's necessarily true. Okay. No, no, it's good. And um, staying on the, the trail of being an entrepreneur, are there some character qualities that you you drew on to help you experience the level of success you have? Well, I, I think the big one is 
my father used to tell me, I, I grew up with a father that worked in a factory. And so when I was coming home from school at 3.30, 4 o'clock in elementary school, he was just leaving for his job, right? And he would be gone all night on the midnight shift, or he would work, uh, I think it was a 3 to, 3 to 11 shift for a few weeks, and then the, the midnight shift, which was 11 till 6 in the morning or whatever. So sometimes I would be... I would be leaving for work and he would, or I would be leaving for school and he would just be getting home and going to bed. And my father always said to me, write your own paycheck. Learn how to write your own paycheck. Because- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Because if somebody else does it, then they determine what you get paid. But if you write it, you determine what you get paid. So learning that uh, and being told that growing up, I always wanted to find ways to make money. I always wanted to find ways to write my own paycheck. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, I I could have bad weeks, I could have a bad month, I could have a, a bad three months where I don't make any any revenue. Now it doesn't happen often, but I know how to write my own paycheck. So I know I can earn more money. I know there's no shortage of money out there. I know there's no shortage of opportunity. So I never have fear that I'm going to go hungry or starve or not be able to feed my family or pay my mortgage. Um, because it's just sort of something I've, I've had hammered into my head that I should be able to write my own paycheck. Mm. And so I think, you know, entrepreneurs, anybody can learn that skill uh, just by changing your mindset and realizing that there is no real shortage of opportunity. Uh, you just have to have a little ingenuity and, you know, not, not believe that ingenuity means going out and robbing a bank, but ingenuity meaning you can... Uh, you can make it work and you can find a way to to create revenue and to create opportunity and to find new business. Right. Now, when you say writing your own paycheck, are you referring to, is it like, a, are you hustling or you finding other ways to make money? You have multiple revenue streams or? I, I just said, well, again, growing up, my father was just always pressuring, not pressuring, just always, just always suggesting that his, his, level of income was always determined by somebody else and my level of income could be determined by solely by myself by okay. how hard i worked okay gotcha. by how hard i hustled by how hard i got out there and i you know i hit the pavements or i tried new things uh and so you know so i don't know if entrepreneurship is learned or you're born with i don't really know what my feeling is on that mm-hmm. i just know that for me you know, I always wanted to find ways to earn a little bit of extra cash. It was in my blood since I was a kid, and so uh, you know, I still have that now. I'm 35 years old. No, 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 I hear you. So, um, okay, now let's talk about this because this is part of what you do. You talk about when you're talking about uh, you know, keeping your business 
um, growing and thriving is so com- so companies sometimes they go through bad stretch of months and it, in your book you talk about how loyal customers are the beating heart of every you know the business mm-hmm. now do you tell me why you decided to write the book and some of the key things that um, the audience will take away from that because I, I like I said I started in sales and customer loyalty was was the biggest thing I remember when we didn't make our quarter when I didn't make my quarter I, I just like I just lost this point and it's so much harder to get a new customer than to keep the yeah and the old ones um, right so 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 one of the one of the core reasons I wrote that book was because of that that thing you just said is is something we hear from all the uh, customer loyalty customer service uh, customer experience gurus out there is they always say that you know well we all know it's cheaper to keep the existing customer than to find a new one the the problem I had with that was that they tell us that but then they don't tell us what to do right and mm-hmm. so they, they say the existing customer is far easier to keep and to far easier to to you know sell again than it is to find a new customer okay so how do you actually do that and so that's what evergreens about it's about how do you actually do that how do you actually nurture that relationship from even before somebody becomes a customer um, to long after they've already made that first transaction to getting them to take that next step and make another transaction to get them to tell others about you to get them to uh, to offer testimonials or to create word of mouth or to send you referrals how do you actually do that and how do you actually systemize that in your business so in the book I give uh, the first half of the book is really strategic I give sort of an overarching uh, strategic framework I call the three C's which are content character and community and what I found was that the best companies the ones that the ones that created the most loyal customers the ones that truly seem to stay green if, if you use the, the evergreen metaphor all year round they were doing all these things right and so I'll just explain those really quickly uh, there's I, I can't really ever give them justice in a podcast but I'll try my best so character, is why you do what you do. So there's a great book called by uh, Simon Sinek called Start With Why. You've probably heard of it. Yep, yep. So Simon found that the world's best organizations started with why, even before considering their what. So character, the concept of character is all about why, but taking it to a much deeper level. So I actually give companies uh, the specific questions to ask, the specific exercises, the specific things they need to know to really build character. There's a classic book in the marketing world called Positioning. It was released 30-something years ago, and back then they said there's so much noise, you only have a few seconds to decide what the market will remember about you, what they'll think of you when they hear about your brand. And if you don't decide, then they'll decide for you. So that was 30 years ago. And what's happened is most people still continue to let the market decide. So character is about you deciding. So again, this is a powerful concept for a solo entrepreneur. It's a powerful concept for a small business. And it's a powerful concept for Fortune 500. Uh, The second C is community. And the best companies, the best entrepreneurs, they're really building a strong sense of community. So again, in the book, I give examples uh, from all different industries, big business, small business, B2B, B2C, restaurants, mechanics, uh, entrepreneurs like me and you, toy manufacturers, guitar retailers. How do you actually do that? What does that mean? How do you bring all the social media together? How do you bring your customers together and actually facilitate community? And then the third C is content. And the content is the shorthand I use for the thing you give. This is your what, right? Your product, your service. 
And what I found is that most companies believe that the what is is the most important thing they do. The what is the whole core, the soul of their business. But what we're finding now is that the what is not enough to bring people back again and again and again. You know, if it was just the what, say, for example, Zappos with shoes, right? Well, we can get shoes anywhere. So it's not the what. It's all the other things that are happening. And so the book shows you how to create, how to uh, improve your content so it's supported by your character and your community. Then the second half of the book really is tactical, and it gives people those specific uh, tactics and strategies to use to actually maximize customer value. So to answer those questions I said earlier, you know, how do you actually go about bringing back lost customers? How do you actually go about nurturing a relationship with a new customer? How do you actually do all that and make it work? And that's what the second half of the book's about. Well, love it. I mean, it sounds like you're providing action steps. I mean, I love the t- you know three Cs, the... You know, character, community, content. Um, you know, you're talking about how to nurture profitable customers and also build loyalty programs um, for satisfied customers. Well, one thing that I do particularly love, I love the character uh, and content uh, because, I mean, that's exactly what I, I do with the content. I have daily content. But I'm very, I want to know how you build that community because I feel like that, especially for Solo solopreneurs or even uh, entrepreneurs for small businesses building that sense of community of champions is so key mm-hmm. in, in growing mm-hmm. your businesses. I'm just curious if you have any stories as to how you did it or maybe how another company did it. Well, in the book, I again I give examples of different types of companies, so I show you that it's not just a Facebook page, it's not a web forum. It might be some of those things, or it might be none of them. The key is to really find ways to connect your customers together around what it is you do and what they're passionate about. So a guitar retailer, for example, the the community is simple, right? It's it's people who love music, people who love guitars, people who love that specific brand of guitar. So now how do you bring them together in a sense of community? Well, again, it might be a web forum. It might be done with your Facebook page. Um, there's different tactics you can use. So in the book, I talk about the difference between tribes and community. Seth Godin talks about tribes. Uh, my mentor, Alan Weiss, said, no, he's wrong. It's actually community. I looked at them and said, well, you know what? They're pretty similar words, tribes and communities. And maybe Seth meant community. But is there a difference here? And I believe there is. I believe great communities also harness uh, tribalistic tactics so they understand that their community has shared language they understand that their community might have different lingo or things that they use amongst each other it's about recognizing those things it's about bringing them together around what it is you do so the teo community for example you know they they're interested in the character of teo they want to be a part of that uh that's the way you bring them together around that community what is your core belief tale what is your core uh Value your core positioning, your core uh, beliefs on where you want to take this company, your why. And then the key is your community buys into that. Your community wants to be a part of that bigger story. And so that's why I believe character is such an important concept for small entrepreneurs like us because what we give, our content, is never enough to keep people for uh, years at a time. They're more interested in the greater community and they're far more interested in the character which is you or I yeah no you're, you're right and um, yeah, I was having a conversation with one of my business partners the other day we, we were talking about how 
you know, people like, you know, when, when it was Steve Jobs, Apple, it was, you know, uh, uh, Richard Branson, you know, Virgin, you know, they bought into the people and there was a sense of community and all that. And I always liken it to the fact that, I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm Nigerian and we have tribal groups. Uh, it's, you know, they're so, so diverse. We have over 300 different languages, but each tribe always seems to want to, ha- you know, rally for that community. And, you know, when you were bringing up Seth Godin, it's that sense of immediate connection they had. Oh, you're this, you're from this tribe? Come with us. We understand. Right. So it's, if you can do that and replicate that, I, I can definitely see how that builds us as a community. And so the one key distinction there is that tribes are often very, uh, they're very closed-minded to others. Yep. So, so the key that I bring up in the in the book is that you can use the aspects of tribes, you can use the components of tribes, but for your community to grow, you have to be willing to be open to others. You have to give them the opportunity to come in and learn about the tribe. And people want to be a part of something. They want to be a part of something where there is that sense of tribalism. But we have to be open to that. And so that's the problem with tribes that are too closed off, that are too unwilling to let others in. That that's perfect segue into the next question I have, which is the mission statement for this is use your difference to make a difference. And the, the frustration that I had with that and how I came up with that was, the, was just going back to this. I'm you know I'm from Nigeria, several tribes, and everyone wants to say my tribe is better than the other tribe. But then I always said, how why can't you use what's different about you to actually instead of causing conflict to make a difference? So instead of saying you're from the, you know from this tribe and hence the other tribe can't provide anything to benefit why don't you look at it from the fact that you're several tribes in an existing community which is nigeria so um i was always curious about different ways people were using what was different about them and, and educating others and how to how they were using that to make an impact in their society or in the world in the global um front and then so now every time i have guests on i always ask them and this is what i'm going to ask you now how do you use your difference to make a difference well, I th- so I think uh, I think there's a couple really interesting things I like about your question. It's first off, your the the people that use their difference to make a difference are the ones that are going to win. It's the communities that aren't willing to be open to others mm. that aren't going to make it. Right, mm-hmm. you are the one that is that is going to win. Um, so how do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, that's the key. People want to be a part of that community, right? People want to be a part of the community that says, let's be different, but let's use it to make good, high-quality impact. Love it. Yep. So I think I think you're you're definitely on the right track there with that with that value proposition. I mean, that's key. Yeah. No, I mean that's the whole premise of the of the media company. And, you know, it's UID media and it's use your difference to make a difference. Because like you, I it was just it's just when my dad's a diplomat, so I grew up everywhere, and then you start to see this pattern of people. And when you when you look at it from a different lens, you see it from a business front and and a, you know just a personal front, and you understand that if only you could actually work together or use that to actually make an impact, you would realize that you do a lot more than being closed-minded. Um, so I mean, I, I was always I was always just frustrated with that, and I wanted to make sure it applied in in business and personal front. So. Um, I was very excited when you were saying that's that, great. Yeah, it's be more than tribalistic. Build a, a community, and that's why I really harnessed on that community aspect because it's really important to me. So, um, so we're, we're getting ready to close here, but I, I wanted to get a little bit more, let, let the audience know a little bit more about who you are and what you do for fun. Um, I, I, I know you. You said you're from small town Ontario, and, and uh, we were talking about Steve Nash early on, but. 
with the, the thing with Canada, everybody has certain stereotypes about Canada. And I always say stereotypes are the laziest ways to understand a culture. Because it makes assumptions on who you are and what you do without actually knowing who you are and what you do. So I want you to help me dispel some stereotypes about what Canada is and maybe some maybe if you have some stories about some of the funny things you run into when people when you run into people say, Hey, you're from Canada, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you think back, I, I don't know if you remember, but the first time we met, you know, I asked you for your address, and, and you said, why do you want my address? And I said, well, because I'm going to send you a copy of my book. And you responded, you said, oh, my goodness, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What can I say? I'm Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was our first sort of uh, our first discussion. Um, yeah. About me, really quickly, I mean, right now, this is what I do. I, I write my books, I speak, and I consult with businesses, but... The flip side and the more important thing is that I'm a father to two young children right now. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm married ten years this year, and so that's what life is all about to me. Congrats! Um, you know, one of the I, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee, and, and one of the things I recently read, rec- I read from him recently, was a quote where he said, "If you live for the weekends and vacation, then your, you know, your shit is broken." And <laughs> and I think Gary's wrong on that. You know, I think he's I think he's flat out wrong. Uh, life, life is not about work and, and making the most money. Life is meant to be lived with with people that you love and people that you care about. And if you can make an impact and make a difference, then you're winning, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you only live to work, you know, then I would say that your shit is broken. <laughs> you know what? He, so you know that's so funny with Gary V. It, he's I I love him too. He's very passionate, but I, that I do agree with you on that. Sometimes. When he's when he's going on one of his uh, passionate conversations, I'm like, I, I don't know, Gary. I don't know if I quite agree with that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, look, Gary might end up with the most money, but but I think he's got that backwards. And and for me right now, you know, my mentor tells me that one of my mentors, uh, Alan Weiss, one of the quotes he often shares, and one of the quotes that he's known for is, "Real wealth is discretionary time. Real wealth." is the ability to do what you want when you want real wealth is the is the ability you know to to choose your own hours and to do things that you love to do right and so if i want to work on friday night like gary might want to that's fine but for me the the biggest wealth in my life right now is my family and everything i do is you know is a result of that and that's it yeah no it's good i love it um and I, just like you said, real wealth is being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, where you want to do it. So I, uh, I definitely, definitely try, uh, sympathize with that. It doesn't really, it's not measured by the amount of money you have. It's measured by how happy you are doing what you're doing. So it sounds like you're living that that um, evergreen life. It's it's the crossroads <laughs> between should and must. Should and must, yes. No, that's it all comes back to that. Uh, the road less traveled, you took the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. So, um, well, I just thank you so much for your time. I mean, I, before we go, though, I want you to, you know, plug anything you want to do. Where where can we find your book, your number one bestseller book? And um, how can consultants or sorry businesses work with you so that you can, uh, you know, help them consult and all that good stuff. Sure. So, so two quick things. First of all, there's there's a little bit of shamelessness to the number one. The book debuted uh, on Amazon in Canada at number one in three categories. Uh, so it's not number one at this point. I just want to make that that clear. I like to be open and honest and authentic. Humble, uh, authentic. I like it. That's, that's more Canadianness in me. Uh, <laughs> number two. Uh, 
I, I don't know uh, how big your listenership is, but what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, sure, I'd like to say the first uh, three people that hear this and send me an email, I will send them a free copy of Evergreen signed by me, uh, no cost to them. They can email me at noah at noahfleming.com, N-O-A-H-F-L-E-M-I-N-G. So mm-hmm. first three listeners that hit this up, the early birds will get the worm. Well, okay. Uh, and the second thing is people can check out my website, noahfleming.com, and they can buy the book basically anywhere they like to buy books. Right. There's an audiobook version if, they, if they'd like. All right, Noah, NoahFleming.com, first three people will get a free book. I got a free book. I was lucky. Uh, so it's a really good read. I, I can definitely uh, say that. And then NoahFleming.com for all things Noah Fleming. All right. Tail, thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on and uh, doing this with me, even though it was earlier than planned. So <laughs> thank you very much. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.